You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 14th of June, 2018, on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Daniel Beige. On today's show, China has been cracking down on riskier lending in the country, but has the economic caution hurt growth? The numbers point to a slowdown. Will it play out in trade talks with the U.S.? My guests Jonathan Fenby and Phil Clark will be discussing this and the day's other top stories, including a decision by the International Criminal Court to release Congo's former rebel leader and if the decision will impact upcoming elections. And Vladimir Putin. The World Cup kicks off in Russia, but will it be the global showcase Vladimir Putin is hoping for? And what does it take to turn a unilingual city into a bilingual one? That's all to come on Midori House here with me, Daniel Bache. So welcome to Midori House. My guests today are Jonathan Fenby, former editor of the South China Morning Post and now chairman of China Research and director of European political research at T.S. Lombard and Phil Clark, reader in comparative and international politics at SOAS University of London. Welcome, gentlemen, both to the program. Uh, China's attempt to crack down on debt, riskier lending and easy money has started to hurt growth in the world's second largest economy, just as global trade tensions increase under the threat of Donald Trump's sanctions. Retail sales slowed in China last month, and there was a drop in car sales and industrial output. And with the concern of eroding economic growth, the People's Bank of China chose not to increase interest rates to match the Federal Federal Reserve's hikes on Wednesday, as has been the practice of late. Jonathan, has uh, China gone too far with its caution, do you think? Well, China, in a sense, went too far with its growth uh, mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, which was stronger than expected, coming in at uh, the upper 6%. Uh, and this year, it's expected to drop back to 65 which is a quite reasonable growth rate. Uh, by international standards, although it may seem low for those who remember China in double digits. Uh, The point, as you say, uh, is that the leadership wants to crack down on what it calls financial risks. And that includes uh, debt and leverage, which has been really the main motor for growth uh, in China. And the question is how far they can fine tune that elimination of risk or reduction of risk uh, without uh, knocking the bottom out of the growth on which the Communist Party depends still for its legitimacy. So this is a very nice political, economic uh, kind of balancing act that we're seeing at the moment. Phil, how concerning is the slowing of China's economy for global trade, do you think? Is, is this uh, too early to, to, see, to see the warning signs? I, I was looking at some of the African papers uh, this afternoon, and, and there's already a worry uh, hmm. from various African states about the impact of, of a Chinese economic downturn. Um, most of sub-Saharan African economies now are completely linked uh, to, to China. China's invested enormously in, in, in African countries over the last uh, 10 years, uh, and particularly in, in very big expensive infrastructure 
infrastructure projects, which many African states also rely on for, for their own legitimacy. So that there are lots of African worries about what's happening with the Chinese economy at the moment. So if they're concerned about increasing debt, then will we see will we see less spending, less moving into Africa then, some, some slowdown of projects perhaps? That, that seems to be the concern mm-hmm. coming out of some African capitals at the moment. Uh, many African investments by China have been seen as extremely risky, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that China has weighed in with enormous investment uh, very, very quickly, much more quickly than any Western uh, investor would do. And, and so if the general uh, Chinese atmosphere is to reduce risk and, and to start to slow things down, Africa may be top of the list for, for getting knocked out of these kind of trade and investment arrangements. Uh, Jonathan, a strong economy allows a more assertive China. Um, so will this hurt China in talks with the U.S., or is it too early to tell, do you think? Oh, it's too early to tell. And, of course, uh, the, the whole uh, Trump is due to announce uh, the uh, – uh, sectors in which he's going to hit China, mm-hmm. uh, I think tomorrow, uh, Friday, uh, and so on. Um, but this probably won't have that much effect on Chinese growth uh, as such. Uh, the economy is now so big that it takes a lot really to mm-hmm. slow it down. Uh, and what we're seeing at the moment also is a an attempted transition from the old industries, steel, you know, heavy steel, uh, aluminium, and others like that, to a more service-based, high-technology industry. And that's really where the U.S. threat to China is probably strongest, Mm -hmm. that if the U.S. and it gets its allies to follow along, um, uh, stop uh, technological uh, assistance and work cooperation with China, that could undermine uh, Xi Jinping's big uh, Made in China 2025 program, which is really the hallmark of where he wants China to be uh, in the middle of the next decade. Uh, Where has this credit crackdown been felt the most inside China? China. Uh, well, it's had some effect on the property market. Mm-hmm. And of course, the real estate market in China is enormously important uh, as a driver. It's also had an effect at local government level, where there was a lot of uh, pretty dodgy debt uh, around. And there's been, and there will, we think, uh, continue to be a considerable uh, reduction in spending on the kind of old heavy investment infrastructure, fixed asset investments, which drove China's uh, huge growth, you know, eight line motorway um, uh, highways on which there were only three or four cars uh, an hour and so on. The high speed train, on the other hand, has been a big success. And what you'll have is more concentration on smaller scale urban infrastructure, which uh, generates less growth potential. Uh, China urged the US to make a wise choice, a quote there, on trade today, avoiding confrontation. Is China's position weakened, do you think? Surely Trump is going to move ahead with his hard line. Sure, his is. And China has has got quite a lot of weapons to fire back if it wants to do so. Um, both uh, in terms of uh, the uh, American companies, which are making very nice profits mm-hmm. out of China, and which could be uh, dealt with. Uh, and also abroad, uh, China, by pushing the Belt and Road Initiative, has also established itself in quite a lot of countries. And within East Asia, there is a China-based supply chain, which is very important for South Korea, for Japan, and for Taiwan, and so on. So China's got weapons in this, but China really has has no interest in blowing up globalization Mm -hmm. and stopping the trade flow, uh, at least until it is pushed to pretty much to the brink. The U.S. is still to release a list of targeted Chinese goods, I believe, tomorrow. Mm. Uh, How concerned
concerned is Beijing and, and, and the flow of, of trade, the sort of the trickle down in the region, will that be effective, do you think? Well, that, 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 it depends what it hits. If, mm-hmm. you know, we saw the, the question of the ZTE uh, telephone uh, company there, which was cut off initially from its American semiconductor suppliers and would have gone bust. It couldn't, couldn't operate without those since the U.S. is a big, the big source of high-grade uh, semiconductors. If it starts to hit areas like that, you are really hitting, as I said, both at China's own industrial development and modernization plans, but also, and this is very rarely mentioned, at the Chinese military, which depends, of course, on foreign components mm-hmm. for a lot of its highest grade weaponry. Uh, Phil, China is out front calling for cooperation here. Uh, we've seen sort of Xi Jinping take a backseat in, in things that have been happening globally, especially North Korea lately, uh, and they want to avoid confrontation. Is this uh, tone a little bit strange? Uh, one we're more used to hearing from the U.S., no? It, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how, how China tackles this uh, d- diplomatically. Uh, we've already heard Trump be extremely bellicose mm-hmm. over the last two years uh, towards China, accusing it of all kind of economic espionage inside the U.S., and, and that kind of thing. Um, China ha- has sometimes fired back at that, but sometimes seems to have tried to hover ab- above the fray, often because it's been coming from a position of strength. This, I guess, is the first time that we've had both Trump being very aggressive towards China and, and China being in a more weakened economic position. So it's a, it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of tone China, mm-hmm. China adopts over, over the next uh, you know, three, four, five months. I'd just say we, we shouldn't read too much into one month's sure. numbers here because in China, A, do you believe the data is <laughs> always an old question for those of us who, who follow China, to which there is no answer. Um, but also one month can go up, one month can go down. Mm-hmm. And uh, the central authorities, the People's Bank of China, the central bank, have become considerably more sophisticated at uh, operating the economy. You've got so many moving parts there that really you have to look at it at least in a quarterly and perhaps in a half yearly uh, frame of frame of of reference there. Um, I'd say uh, you mentioned the Korean thing. Actually, the uh, the summit in Singapore, although China wasn't there, it more or less ended up exactly as China would have Mm -hmm. wished in lots of ways, including the ending of the military exercises by the US and South Korea, which has been something China has pressed for all the time. And now, interestingly, China straight away after the summit was saying, well, let's look at sanctions again. If we've got this honeymoon uh, atmosphere between the US US and uh, North Korea, shouldn't we be seeing whether we actually need sanctions uh, or not? And I think you've got, um, there are people who will say that Kim has uh, found, you know, his independent path and will go his own way. But I think he recognizes uh, the value of having a big partner, a big brother uh, like China just behind him. Well, we shall see and we shall see how the uh, tariffs and sanctions uh, play out in the next uh, few months and how, in fact, it does affect affect China's economy. I want to move on now to uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Judges at the International Criminal Court in The Hague have ordered the release of the country's former rebel leader and vice president, Jean-Pierre Bemba. He had been sentenced uh, to 18 years back in 2016, accused of failing to stop his troops of killing and raping people in neighboring uh, Central African Republic. The former warlord acquitted in appeals court last week of war crimes and crimes against humanity. Judges there saying he was wrongly convicted. He has, though, been in jail for some 10 years. Phil, uh, why is he being released now then? Uh, essentially, the uh, appeals judges in The Hague have said that the, the prosecution 
made the case that these crimes had been committed, particularly mm. murder, pillage, and, and, and maybe the highest profile crime has been rape, but, but that the prosecution didn't make the link uh, back to Bemba as the commander. And, and this is really the crux of this case. And, and in many ways, this is the most embarrassing element of this acquittal for the prosecution because uh, Bemba is the highest profile suspect that the ICC has had in the docker up until now. He's a former vice president of, mm. of Congo. But, but also the ICC had made big statements about the importance of this case for creating this new kind of law around what they call command responsibility, that it, it's possible now to prosecute military and political leaders, even if they're not on the ground mm-hmm. calling the shots, even if, as Bemba was at the time, he was 1,500 kilometres away inside Congo, apparently making telephone calls and directing things from a distance. The, the ICC, which has been heavily criticised in the last few years, has really pointed to the Bemba case as one of its great innovations, this mm-hmm. idea of command responsibility. So, so his acquittal and, and his release in the last few days is, is a massive blow uh, for the prosecution specifically, but, but really for the, the reputation of the ICC as a whole. So you mentioned there that the court ruled he could not be held criminally liable for crimes committed by his troops uh, who were in the Central African Republic in, in around 2002-2003. How is that then possible? I, I mean, really, what what the judges are saying is we, we don't doubt that these crimes happened. Right. Uh, the, the, the key is that, that the prosecution can't build the link back to Bemba as an individual. And, and I think this points to a, a bigger problem with the ICC. This is very much a Western court mm-hmm. based in The Hague with a, a very conventional idea of how conflict happens, that it's it's almost Nazi-style uh, models of crimes. You have these elites who carry out orders, underlings then commit the crimes. I mean, I do an enormous amount of research on conflict in Central Africa, and that's simply not how conflict plays out. It's, it's much more fluid. It's much more complex than that. So in many ways, we're seeing the ICC adopt a, an old-school model of what violence looks like to these very modern, very complicated cases. And in many ways, that's, that's what the judges have said in the Bemba case. Mm. Um, we simply don't don't think that the prosecution has shown that this particular leader actually was fundamentally responsible, even though these crimes undoubtedly happened. Mm-hmm. Bemba, I understand, has gone to Brussels to be reunited with his family, but uh, he was, of course, vice president. Uh, and in these cases, oftentimes uh, men like this get back involved in politics and there is an election. He, he lost a 2006 runoff to the incumbent, uh, Joseph Bila, uh, who is now barred from seeking re-election. Uh, will we see Bemba as a candidate in the near future? It's very possible mm-hmm. that we will. And uh, Bemba has remained a, a very powerful uh, Congolese political figure, even when he's been in jail mm-hmm. while this trial has been ongoing. In fact, e- every opposition leader who, who has challenged Kabila in the last 10 years has made a kind of a, a Hajj trip to The Hague to see <laughs> Bemba in his prison right. cell to, to gain his, his approval. Um, the one sort of kink in this situation is that uh, Bemba has also been convicted of a separate uh, crime relating to witness tampering. Mm. That The court is going to decide on his sentence for that in about three weeks' time. But the likelihood there is that he's going to get a sentence that, that is less than the amount of time he's already spent in jail, um, in which case he will be free to go back to Congo. That There is already discussion amongst other opposition leaders inside Congo whether they would invite Bemba back. Um, and this at the moment looks like uh, paving the way for, for Bemba to, to contest the presidency mm-hmm. as we expect these elections to be held at the end of this year. And presumably he can proclaim his acquittal, you know, mm-hmm. as proof of independence and arguments about command responsibility, which is something that goes way, way back, of course, in history, uh, will not enter the, the picture. But, you know, here it was, 
the court in The Hague had me up and they couldn't make it. Well, they had to acquit me, as it, as it were. We, we've and seen, you come back as a, as a, a, champ, a, a champion. A, 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 almost undoubtedly so. We've seen this with some of the other African leaders that have defeated the ICC, if you right. like, that yeah, the Kenyan yeah, exactly. president, the Kenyan deputy president, they've come home and said, look, we, we beat the imperial court. Yeah, it's an uh, argument. It's, it's, it's a fight against the West. The, he he, the will, use, he yeah, will use yeah. this un yeah. undoubtedly. And it plays into a dynamic in Congo, which is that the, the current president, Kabila, who also on Tuesday, the same day as the announcement of Bemba's release, and announced that he will not run uh, mm. in the upcoming election. Mm. To be honest, no one in Congo really believes that. But the story that Bemba's supporters have always generated about Kabila is that he is the West's lackey. He's only yeah, in power yeah. because the West has kept him there. Right. So Bemba will be able to say, I'm going to defeat the West's lackey in the same way that I've defeated the West's court. So, so that's how Bemba will sell this. I am the true nationalist and the true representative of the people. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, it's so interesting. I think we could stay on this uh, uh, for a while. You are listening to Midori House here with me, Daniel Bates, Jonathan Fenby, and Phil Clark. Coming up, the first day of the World Cup. Monocle has bureau around the world in Tokyo, Hong Kong, Singapore, London, Toronto, and New York City. In Tokyo, our bureau chief is Fiona Wilson. It's such a big city, but I think also it's just one of these very layered cities. Most weeks, there's something new to keep us interested. You know, either it's a new development or a you know really interesting new building, a new fashion brand. There's something about Tokyo. Once you're here and you live here, it gets more and more interesting. Hear from Monocle's editors and correspondents on the stories that matter and the places that matter every day on Monocle 24. Still with me, Phil Clark and Jonathan Fenby. The World Cup underway after the opening ceremony and the opening match between Russia and Saudi Arabia. Very one-sided. 5-0 Russia is the score. Russia has spent nearly $11 billion to prepare a dozen cities to host the millions of visitors who will take in matches over the next month across uh, European Russia. Vladimir Putin will hope to showcase a warmer, friendlier country, considering the country's international isolation in recent years, the war in Syria, the shooting down of MH17, uh, crackdowns on the LGBT commu community, uh, and the massive Sochi doping scandal as well. And, of course, there was that uh, little detail of the annexation of Crimea. Uh, Putin wants to show off Russia as a world power, uh, will this tournament help him? And uh, was 5-0 the perfect result to start that? I think this this tournament probably will uh, help him because everybody and all the t the, foreign, the other teams, non-Russian teams, everybody's so anxious to behave well mm. and for there not to be trouble and so on. So And so long as the sun shines. Uh, well, I gather the Russian media commentators were saying that this was the worst Russian national team that had ever been fielded. <laughs> well, in which case... They had some pretty. They have had the opponents of choice there because uh, the Saudi defending looked uh, pretty catastrophic and chaotic uh, throughout, and the Russians came up with with some good moves and, and some good goals. So that will undoubtedly, I guess, shorten their odds and make Mr. Putin and others very happy tonight. Perhaps the most interesting part of the match: Crown Prince Salman yeah, uh, yeah. of Saudi Arabia and Vladimir Putin, who met today um, ahead of a contentious OPEC meeting, uh, were sitting beside each other in the same presidential presidential box watching this 
this match. After it went to 1-0, there was this uh, sort of cheeky smile where uh, Putin uh, leaned over and offered his hand. And, of course, all the television television feeds caught this moment. Uh, uh, dream start, uh, Phil, perhaps, uh, for Putin showcasing himself as a trusted partner to the world. Uh, I- I- indeed. I mean, and Putin has shown in the past that he's masterful at using these mm. big, spectacular international sporting events to his own political advantage. Uh, it, it hasn't stopped uh, the, the, the critics and conspiracy theorists. I mean, social media is going berserk about this 5-0 result, that this mm. shows that there was match-fixing. There, there have been all sorts of controversies about the, the Russian doping once again. It, it, it'll take a while, I think, for, for the Russian mm. team to throw off this kind of suspicion. But I, I, I agree with, with John on this one, that the, the longer the tournament goes on, that the more a lot of these kind of theories and, and, and sort of politics of it will start to melt away and the sure. focus you know, very much will be back on, on, on the football. It's, it's the build-up to these tournaments that, that tends to raise these questions. Um, I mean, the, 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 the backdrop, I think, to a lot of this as well will be the potential threat of violence between mm-hmm. uh, any of the fans. And, you know, the British government have made some very direct statements to, to their citizens travelling to Russia that they really need to behave themselves. That the, the Euro tournament not that long ago showed mm-hmm. what can happen if these fans clash. So my, my guess is that a lot of the big politics will melt away, but fan mm-hmm. trouble and security will probably rumble on as, as the big issue as this cup unfolds. You mentioned uh, Putin and uh, the crown prince being yeah. together, etc. Also, uh, one couldn't help noticing that there were billboards all around the ground today for Qatar Airways. And of course, <laughs> given the, uh, the relationship between the Saudis <laughs> and the Qataris at the moment, uh, one wonders whether the, the crown prince looked that way or not. We call that trolling. And I think that was a, a pretty good example of that. Um, but Vladimir Putin perhaps got a, a boost in the, in the past week where, where Trump, um, angering all his allies in the G7 um, over trade uh, did say Russia should be back in uh, to recreate the G8 as it were. Um, uh, Talking of recent strains between the US and the G7, uh, will the backdrop of the World Cup help uh, Russia sort of uh, push itself forward on the world stage? I don't think in those terms. I think the whole, you know, what happened in Quebec and uh, Trump's pushing of Russia there, that was just, would would be seen by the other six in the G7 Mm. as, oh, there's yet another annoyance from the man in the White Hat sure. uh, and so on. And the, the the bigger question is whether you now, whether the G6 want to and are able to create some kind of organization entente among themselves separate from Trump. But they certainly don't want Putin in that mix mm. if they're trying to do that. Since the World Cup was awarded, uh, some of the things I mentioned off the top, there's been the annexation of Crimea, MH17, uh, crackdowns on gay propaganda, and the war in Syria, where Putin is Bashar al-Assad's biggest ally. Um, uh, Phil, can, can Russia use this in any way to write a new chapter? It, it doesn't strike me that Putin's that interested in, in writing yeah. a new chapter, that, that in many ways he wants to whitewash what's come mm. before, and he, he's sort of hoping that the world's attention will, will be askance here. Uh, one of the sort of anomalies in, in these big sporting tournaments inside a very repressive state mm. like Russia is that it does allow much more access for international journalists sure. that, than mm. you might ordinarily see. You know, you, it's very easy now to get a journalistic pass. Russia wants to showcase this tournament over the next five weeks. So what will be interesting is whether any of the international media are able to you know penetrate Russian society and perhaps you know unearth some more interesting views from everyday Russians than perhaps we typically see in the Western media. So you know that may be the slight kink in, in Putin's sort of international strategy in terms of how he uses this tournament.
Uh, what do you? Th- we talked earlier about uh, Crown Prince Salman and Vladimir Putin sitting together. I, we only can can speculate on what they spoke about. Uh, um, Jonathan, what do you think they wagered on this match, if anything? <laughs> well, um, a few million billion <laughs> barrels of oil. <laughs> who knows? And who will pay up? And how, what will that do to the market? Yes, <laughs> they uh, probably, they, I think they wager territory. Yeah, they, they wager territory. <laughs> but I think also the Saudis will probably now. Uh, tonight be saying we need to hire in a few high-priced foreign experts to make our game a bit better before we go out on the world stage again. Yeah, perhaps. It's, it's, it was quite humiliating for them. Well, we should. Well, we shall see if it turns out to be humiliating for Russia, as were perhaps the Sochi uh, 2014 Olympics in the end. I must say in the office mm. sweep, I was lucky to have drawn neither of them. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> but I have drawn a team, uh, Croatia, which is not given much of a chance. So. Yeah, well, we shall see how it plays out. Who are you picking to win overall, we must ask? I've gone conventional with Germany. Germany, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I think it'll be a, a, probably a Germany-France final. I, I see Brazil, unfortunately, for our producer, Fernando, <laughs> yeah. who's screaming at me through yeah. the glass here. I yeah. see them going out in yeah. the semis. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they will meet Germany on the way. It's, it's the winner yeah. of Germany and Brazil, right. uh, if you like, which is really, as, as sometimes happens in these competitions, sure. the real final, I think. And I wouldn't put it beyond Brazil to uh, flip the change uh, on the Germans, who otherwise indeed should be uh, the, the, the favourites. Well, perhaps uh, we can we can hope that they, they meet again in a, in a more even evenly scored yeah. match than in, in the last World Cup. That would yeah. be something. Uh, I want to move on to New Zealand just finally, where the country's second biggest city, Wellington, is aiming to become a bilingual sitting. Uh, city, rather, adding Tirio, the language of indigenous Maori people, as its second language by 2040. Quite an ambitious project. With many languages dying out, it's a welcome move by the mayor of the city, Justin Lester. Uh, Phil, first off, what do you think of this idea? Uh, it, it, it seems uh, incredibly positive, and it's mm. the kind of thing I'm, as an Australian, deeply envious of. Sure. Um, if, you, if you tried to do something equivalent in, in a large Australian city, you'd probably have a, a riot on the streets. Um, uh, no, I mean, I, I think New Zealand generally ha- has a much healthier uh, relationship mm. between the, 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 the white settler population and, and the, the indigenous Maori population, and this really goes back to, to the Waitangi Treaty 200 years ago. They, they got this right at the outset sure. um, and enshrined in law very various rights for the Maori population. And, and I think that's the basis of, of much healthier relations today. Um, you know, th- this kind of thing is, is really the envy of those of us li- living on the, on the opposite side of the Tasman. Mm. Yeah. As you say, New-, New Zealanders have a unique relationship, it seems, with Indigenous people, one that appears to come with with a lot more respect than in other countries, uh, say. Uh, does that play into this, Jonathan? That plays into that, uh, I, I'm sure. I've never been to New Zealand, mm-hmm. so I speak as a complete ignoramus, as one often does on <laughs> in this kind of way. But also, the, the kind of dual language cities uh, is not such an unusual thing sure. as it may seem. I mean, we mentioned Quebec a moment ago, yeah. where you know French and English, uh, Singapore, uh, where my son and grandchildren live, mm. and they go to school where they're learning in, in English and Chinese at the same time. You have the same kind of thing in Hong Kong, uh, and after all, all those French lycées all over the, mm. the world are having a kind of bilingualism of learning in French and perhaps 
speaking whatever the native language is at home. Uh, so, you know, there is, I think, a lot of that. And in the United States, of course, you know, with um, Hispanic, uh, uh, growth of the Hispanic population mm. there again, you've got multilingual uh, in a lot of, of places. Perhaps uh, in Britain, we are particularly old fashioned in, sure. in not uh, adopting that, except for in areas where, of course, there is a very high uh, immigrant population, but that often then breeds in Britain uh, a resentment. So in New Zealand, knowing the language and in Wellington will give a good boost to CVs for people looking for jobs in the public sector, it said now uh, in this initiative, and everyone will get a chance to learn the language. Is this then all positive news, do you think, Phil? I I, I think so. I mean, I, I... I was interested to see more detail on, yeah. on the story in the sense that it, it wasn't clear, for example, whether this would be taught in schools in yeah, any kind of yeah. systematic fashion. You know, but, but I think even if this is only at the symbolic level, even right. if it's only street names and a, yeah. a sort of a push for you know Maori ceremonies and, and, and sort of more references to te reo as a language and Maori culture generally in the city of Wellington, that, that has to be a, a good thing. But what, what struck me out of this was that it, it, it's not necessary to right. do this in Wellington. You know, the, the Maori population is very small. They're, mm. they're not like the Francophone population in Quebec where there was yeah. a separatist yeah. movement and they were yeah. very politically yeah. organized and politically powerful. The, the Maori across New Zealand, and I'm sure in Wellington specifically, aren't like that. So, you know, this is a choice that, that, that yeah. this, uh, you know, domestic government has made to, to really amplify this as an issue and, and, and to try to make it a, a priority. It's impressive to me as an mm. Australian, again, to, to, to see, a, you know, a government trying to do that kind of thing. But you don't see this happening in Adelaide. If, if, if only it would. <laughs> yeah. As I said, I'd, I'd, I would fear what the popular reaction would be if, if, a, if a local mayor of a yeah. place like Adelaide even mentioned this as a possibility. Well, we see uh, Gaelic and Welsh signs in parts of the UK, yeah, of course, yes, yes. Uh, but less and less people uh, speaking those languages. And, and it seems to be just symbolism then. But in this case, um, you know, making a conscious effort seems to, to be having an, an impact and maybe it will learn, lead yeah, to I mean, there is an element of gesture politics, yeah, I sure. guess, uh, inevitably, you know, how useful it is. Is it actually to speak Maori outside New Zealand? Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one would ask if one was putting a spoiler uh, on this. But I'm sure in terms of local relationships between the communities, um, it's to be applauded. I think so. And it's, it's, it's an example around the world, uh, quite a different uh, scene in my native Canada, for example, in relationships with indigenous people. So if it builds that bond, then we can, we can only commend it uh, as uh, more than symbolism there. Good. But uh, I'm afraid we'll have to leave it there. That's uh, the end of today's show. Jonathan Fenby. Phil Clark, thank you so much for joining us here on Midori House. Uh, today's show produced by Fernando Augusto Pacheco, researched by Lamichi Okamato, our studio manager, David Stevens. More music next, then at 1900, it's The Urbanist with Andrew Tuck. We'll have more on the day's main stories on the Monocle Daily later at 2200. Midori House back at the same time tomorrow, 1800 London time. Join me at midday London time tomorrow, Friday, for the briefing and all the latest news and business headlines. I'm Daniel Bates. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.